Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you. There is a fly buzzing around in here. I don't know if you can hear it. You picking up on that at all? It'll only annoy you. We'll, we'll let the fly hang out. I can never tell if it's at the end of its life cycle, buzzing around, trying to get out of a small room, or new to the world, and just kind of looking around like, is this it? Is this the whole world? Maybe it flew in here and it's used to being outside. Maybe it's his first time indoors in a little cave out in the nether regions of space, of our known universe. Who knows? I don't know what's going on with this fly, but for now, it's welcome here. It's weird that virtually everything a fly does, though, annoys us as humans. And people say, I wouldn't hurt a fly. We have a tendency to. I don't think that was in the very beginning of humanity something that showed our um, evil or benevolence or anything like that, whether you just let a fly land right on your forehead and crawl around, or if you murdered it, I don't think the rest of the group would be like, whoa, whoa, hey, what are you doing there? Unless it's crawling on your head. I think overall, people initially, almost immediately more than likely, went, this is unpleasant. I don't care for this. Plus, the way they buzz is annoying. A lot of things working against flies as far as our ability to hang out and be friends with them. But that's neither here nor there. I have some stand-up shows coming up. They deal nothing with flies. They're actually worked-out jokes that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, whew, shouldn't, have, uh, shouldn't have rambled on wondering about the life of flies. That's not going to put asses in seats. It's not going to help sell any tickets. But um, I will be at the Setup Theater in San Francisco, California, uh, Wednesday, August 14th, and then Sunday... August 18th, I'll be in Sacramento at the Punchline. Uh, hopefully come see, hopefully you'll come say hello, come see a show. I'd love to see you. Mention you're a Space Burger. I'll give you some stickers or, or something. I'll, I'll give you something because I just think you're great because you listen to this show. Also, you can stream One-Headed Beast on Amazon Prime. You can also watch it on the Roku channel. Just the straight, plain, regular Roku channel Someone emailed me and said they had watched it uh, on there. So try that out as well if you'd like to see it. We put a lot of work into it. It's a stand-up show, or I don't like when people call them specials. I think that's such an unimaginative word. But it's uh, like a visual project to go along with stand-up material that a bunch of artists and animators and creative people from all over the place, particularly Austin, Texas, all helped with. So I hope you like it. Uh, okay. This is um, part two from inside what I believe now is the Grain Room, and not the Green Room, at Cocopelli Brewing in, near Denver, Colorado, not too far from the Butter Pie, but I keep saying Butter Pie, Butterfly Pavilion, where our uh, guest, as you know, uh, reached out. He works there, head entomologist. If you find yourself in Denver, ask for Mario if you go to the Butterfly Pavilion. I said it right that time. That feels great. Uh, 
mention that you're a, a space burger, and I'm sure Mario will help you out, hook you up with something. At least give you a secret handshake or something. He's real great with kids, so if you're bringing kids by there, um, I highly recommend it. As well as uh, getting beer from Cocopelli, one of five female-owned and operated breweries in the country. Beer's delicious. Haley, who helped us out, was just a delight. You can hear her throughout the episode kind of come in, and apologies for the sound Although maybe Dan tweaked it up a little bit. We'll see. Uh, but we just kind of had to point our microphones toward her. And um, she didn't have the most booming voice. So it might be a little hard to hear. I hope not. Uh, but she's just kind of describing the beers that we're going to be drinking. And on and on. You'll hear. I don't know why I'm guiding you through this. You'll hear it more with Mario. Here's part two on entomology with Mario Padilla. Part two, Mario Padilla. This one, the recorder's not going anywhere. No hijinks with this one, ideally. We just never know. It might jump off the table. It might jump off. It might go crazy. That was really unfortunate with the first one. And hope, hopefully, hopefully the file is salvageable. I have a tiny little bit of the red left. I'm willing, if you'd like it, to finish it. No, I think it's you, David. Okay, thanks, buddy. It went down smooth just for the audience at home. <laughs> it really did go great. <laughs> Tastes. And it's so remarkably different. I won't keep beating myself up about it but I mean, it really is different <laughs> than the line i don't know why i i get, you get kind of nervous like having to it's like a trivia night or something like oh dear so that was in hindsight i'm not disappointed at all don't worry i am <laughs> well if you're disappointed yourself yeah. yeah i i really felt like um especially tasting this again after the fact Whew, way off um there's some flags up here. This is a kind of a cool room that we're in. We got some yeah, wooden some barrels. Maybe they're doing some sours or something over caramel, here. Caramel, some pilsner. Are those? I those think those are, are barley. I guess those would be their grains. Grains, yeah, yeah some kind of grain. Mm-hmm. Man, we're seeing all the ingredients here. That's why they call it the green room. All this, all the stuff in here at one point was growing green out in oh, out in the world. I like I like that. Yeah. Um, these barrels remind me. There's a beekeeper just about 40 minutes north of here and she's she's a real uh really good marketer as well so she has her product in a lot of different places um, both honey and wax but she put a bunch of honey in whiskey barrels so she got a bunch of whiskey barrels and she made this whiskey honey that is delectable whoa yeah it's really cool it's not too much forward it's not you know it's not a huge crazy whiskey flavor but mm-hmm. kind of on the back end it's really 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 nice she grew the honey then also distilled the whiskey um, no, what she did is, um, I guess the whis- the barrels have some kind of remnant whiskey flavor tastes oh, in them. Oh, oh. So she just blow. I think this is, I mean, don't quote me on this. Beth, if you're out there, don't kill me. Um, <laughs> I think she just put honey in the whiskey barrels. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened. Nice. And then had to dry it out a little bit because it came, um, honey... Honey stays really good for a very long time because it doesn't have a lot of moisture in it. Bacteria really can't grow in it. It's too dry. It's mostly sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so she had to take some of the water out, I know. She had to evaporate it a little bit because it was a little bit too moist after it came out of the whiskey barrels. Huh. That's not a big problem, I would suppose. No, you kind of put it in... A, they usually put it in um, like a stainless steel... Um, container that has kind of he- some kind of heating element in it mm-hmm. and just leave the top open and some of that water kind of evaporates out. Exactly. Nice. Do you have little hobbies like that? Like as a bug person, are you like, I'm also into models. Is there any like, Oh yeah. Good question. Good question. Um, who hobbies. I like to, this is, 
this is not the most active hobby, so don't judge me. <laughs> I just like to go to the movies a lot. <laughs> I go yeah. to a eh, movie a week, you know. Mm-hmm. I hang out with my wife and we cook a lot. You know, oh. she's my she's my pal. So we, we hang out, cook a lot, watch movies, documentaries. Um, we're having a kid here pretty soon. So hey, congratulations. Thanks, man. I, it was great how excited. And so, like, when we went back and talking to Owen's mom, we were like, man, you're like... Mario seemed to be really excited how great Owen was at knowing stuff. Oh yeah. Like, and, and also like wanting to nurture that. And we were like, well, of course, you know, if you're a scientist seeing the world around us kind of be not, and not to put this on you, but it does feel in some ways just inundated with idiots (laughs) and people that (laughs) just force have forsaken in some way that the ability they maybe had as a child and didn't nourish their intellect or whatever that might be. Uh, or their curiosity yeah. and rather got involved in just like, oh, I got to fit in. So when you see a little kid that's so, they were saying he'll like take an iPad and just swipe through and just call out different types of dinosaurs just yeah. repeatedly. And the episode I did with um, this guy, Dr. Michael Habib, I would ask him, mm-hmm. you know, like, you were a dinosaur kid? He's like, I love dinosaurs the most. Yeah. It's like, so you, if little kid, you could see you now, you, he'd be so excited. He's like, oh, I think so. And I, I, so I hope that Owen, when he's older, and now I put this on him. I put this on the kid. Like I want him to at least stay in tune with that. It feels like, yeah, it's inevitable, but at the same time, not inevitable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, something totally. can happen. Something can change. And his vocal, his vocabulary around the animals that we had in the facility was so extensive. <laughs> was, he was like pointing stuff out that. I was like, wow. When he said, yeah, go, that's anemone. And then you go, and there was a Nemo fish and a yeah, Dory fish. Yeah. And you go, what's the anemone doing? And he's like, protects him from predators. This kid is four years old. Predators. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was fantastic yeah. to see. And he did it very nonchalantly and just yeah. kind of like. Yeah, because it's a fact he knows in his brain, mm-hmm. which is just astonishing to me. Absolutely. But I love to see, you know, I mean, that's. I think I oh I think I bring this up on the show from time to time the, the idea that walking along in the Mediterranean way back when when you know pe- people were wearing like robes and stuff and looking up and understanding some level of the constellation and like the tides and when they are this and just bestowing upon a child knowledge yeah the limited amount and or vast amount that you have here's what we know about the world around us here's how this works this is where this star is going to be at this time of year here's why and then that child taking that and you know growing it and then now seeing that we're like you're an adult scientist with a vast knowledge and you see a young person that has some affinity for it yes you know you don't in any way get to control that but all you can do is hope that like boy i hope maybe there are a thousand children just like that but what's a percentage of them that will go into even undergraduate with that same exuberance or excitement about it exactly or are they going to become a cpa Mm -hmm. you know yeah which is fine and it's totally great and there's plenty of cpas who are amazing people um not i just randomly picked that out of the air so i'm like worried about the cpa contingency yeah yeah. not not like an an, an indictment on the accounts of the world we need that but i will i think maybe why that subconsciously if i'm guessing ties in is because the machinations the things that make the world run around us when you get into the the gears of them then you become that you become and they're neat they're necessary it's like yeah. that robin williams quote of, or in uh, dead poet society like law engineering 
you know, being a physician, those are all necessary and worthwhile to the human cause. Romance, beauty, poetry, love, those are the things we stay alive for. Exactly. And so there's a differentiation between, I do this job because, hey, people need roads to drive on. I do this job because people need their taxes done. Yes. It is a, a system we've put in place that we manufactured, and therefore I'm one of the gears that helps that yeah. system keep running. However, seeking out, searching, what can we know about this world beyond that? How can we dive in and figure out further animals, insects, our interactions with them. To me, that's so much more worthwhile, not so much more so than a CPA, but is when you see it, I'd like, I'd like that child to stick with it just because it could reveal something. Exactly. And, and, and kind of my whole thing that I think about with these really strong interactions with uh, kids and, and teenagers that come in who I'm not even joking. Like they'll know more than me sometimes. Really, mm-hmm. they'll like or know uh, something with a specificity that I maybe n- not know because I'm kind of a more generalist. Maybe mm-hmm. and you talk to a 16 year old who knows so much specificity about one type of ant, and this has happened to me so uh-huh. many different times. And kind of my whole thing is like, okay, how can we foster that? How can I maybe show them a cool thing or give them a cool experience or say, hey, look at me, I'm a I'm a Hispanic dude who's doing this really cool job. And that's also important to me. Like, it's important to see people who look like you in a job you might have or else you might not ever see yourself in that yeah. particular job. Mm-hmm. Um, and what could I do to like foster that for um, a kiddo who's who's excited about that but may not have a direction of where they want to go with that, you know? And we have like a another thing I'm proud of at the facility is a lot of our, the all of our animal care staff other than me is female. So bringing in little girls as well to show them like, hey, yeah. look at all these amazing women who are doing this amazing work. Yeah, oh, that's weird to think I love about. It. We were walking around yesterday and now that you say that, I go, oh yeah, I, I saw, I met a bunch of them. Didn't even occur to me and I love that that's becoming more the norm. Exactly. That it didn't, it didn't catch me to like, wow, this is interesting. It's mostly women. I just thought like, yep. yeah, I've seen this a number of times now and therefore it just seems normal. Exactly. That's Which is great. even better. It's just like, it's a normal thing. Right. But I think um, it is important for little, uh, little young girls to see somebody they might look up to in a job that they might like to do and, and like, I could do that job when I grow up too mm-hmm. and I can make a difference. And you're right. Like fostering the pre- one of our like kind of mission is to foster the appreciation for invertebrates um, for the people who come into our facility and fostering means, you know, telling them they're cool. They're important for humans. They're important for our environment, but then maybe you'll be the person who discovers something new or continues this legacy or, you know, could invent something that might change, um, something that would help our planet out at some point in time, you know? Yeah. So maybe that little spark might not matter at all, but it might matter totally. Yeah. I, I mean, we have things currently that are dire yes. that we're unaware of. Obviously people would point to just the overall climate change and the, the, the sort of weird push for people to just ignore it. Even the people that are aware of it, just, eh, what can I do? Exactly. But beyond that and specific components of it, the, the bees sort of, really diminishing and us just going, I don't know how many bees are out there. I assume it's enough. I assume we have enough pollen, et cetera. (laughs) Like our crops, all the, everything we're drinking here today had to be pollinated at some point along Mm -hmm. getting it to this space. And we, if there were no bees, then we would go, go, damn, we should have done something. 
they're trying to replicate bees and create them digitally in these little like robot or bees. human pollination you know do it with humans yeah um we have a lot of humans but it's probably <laughs> a lot more inefficient than just yeah. um bees doing it i guess if we get to a point where robots are doing everything that'd be a human job all right get out there with your little eyedropper all yeah, day exactly. long exactly <laughs> but if a little kid sees that sees a problem sees an ability maybe that's our hope that's i think why some people have children they go you never know maybe I, my kid cures cancer maybe my kid's yeah. the one that but there really is a real hope to that of i'm seeing it i'm seeing the problem my brain's a little too rigid i guess yeah. a little kid with a fun you know, that great plastic brain where they're thinking differently and imaginative and like imaginatively. And maybe they see it and go, why don't you do this? You know, they, the, I think recently it was that the roundup was, ki- was killing an enzyme in bees that allows them to fight off essentially what would be the equivalent of a cold. And therefore like they're just getting almost like AIDS. Their immune system is just depleted yeah, and they Im- get any sort of illness. Immune suppression is, 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 definitely one of the things that's happening in general just pesticides we talk about just general like we if you want to go into the four p's um everybody asks me like why are pollinators declining um what can we do well there's four p's we talk about pesticides poor nutrition pathogens and parasites so mm-hmm. parasites there's a nasty <coughs> little mite called the varroa mite that attacks honeybees specifically but there's other uh, pe- uh uh, parasites that attack other kind of native wild bees, um, pathogens, ton of diseases, viral, bacterial, fungal diseases, poor nutrition. That's us. Yeah. Developing everywhere and not having enough food and not enough flowers for the bees. And then pesticides, of course. So all of those come together and you could see it's a pretty dire situation and kind of, <laughs> Oh, Hey, Oh, hello. Circling back to the thing that we were talking about earlier is, um, our honeybees are, kind of domesticated here they're some people call them little honey cows because they're Mm -hmm. like livestock basically we use them a lot for agriculture um we ship them out to uh, california for the almond giant almond pollination we do a variety of things with the honeybees we ship them all around the country to pollinate a variety of different things but the native bees people really don't think about we have almost 950 species of native bees in the state of colorado alone so those are your bumblebees leafcutter bees mason bees alfalfa bees all these other bees that have are impacted by the same things, but people don't even think to think about those bees. A bee could come in here and land right now, and I'd look and go, oh, a bee. And I'd feel smart going, that's a wasp. (laughs) But you could see it and know how many of the 900 do you think? Oh, few. Up Uh, to like 12? Could you do like 12 different? Let's say five to 10. (laughs) That's still really impressive. It's not great. But there's uh, researchers who specifically work on that. There's a guy up at CU named uh, Adrian Carper, and he's like a native bee expert. Mm -hmm. Like he's the guy who I'm like, hey man, we have this new cool bee in our gardens. And I sent him a photo and he's like, oh, that's actually not a bumblebee. You're wrong. That's a bumblebee mimic. That's another kind (laughs) of, so it's like mind blowing, right? Yeah. And I was telling you yesterday, the thing about insects is they're extremely diverse and sometimes with specific animals or insects, um, mostly beetles, but a, a variety of other insects, there's, there's two or three people who could give you a positive identification to species for certain insects in our country. Like you send it to a guy who works at Smithsonian or wherever, and he looks at it, he knows how to do it. He's the guy who can do it and he could tell you what species that is. So it's so much like you can know all the mammals pretty much, right? And you're like, oh, that's a kangaroo yeah. or that's a marsupial, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a moose or that's a deer or it's a yeah. whatever, but it's really difficult and specialized training to 
know these uh, the insects. I believe it. And I think that's where when people, I guess, like sort of just pass off science. Ah, what are they doing? They're just... The, the, the knowledge that you have to know or that we're trying to achieve when it comes down to, oh, no, if these two people die or something happened to them, oh, yeah. we'd essentially be back 20, 50, however many years yep. building all that knowledge back up and trying to get more people aware of it. I mean, I'm never going to know all the species. You're likely never going to know no. them. But as a group, if we can collectively be like, well, this person specializes in this 100 and we can distribute it out where, yeah, I think overall we understand the 900 plus species of just Colorado native bees. Yes. That alone seems like a daunting task. It is. And there's a list and it takes a long time to download it because it's <laughs> humongous. Um, in general, though, I like to, because it does seem daunting because if somebody wants to get into entomology, they're like, oh my God, it's so daunting. But you can learn groups. Like we talk, looked at walking sticks yesterday yeah. and they're all in a group called phasmids. And then you can learn a lot of cool things about that particular order. Mm-hmm. And then you could even break it down a little bit more into families. Oh, what are this, what is this particular family of ants do? And they probably have some kind of um, similar characteristics and, and that's why they're categorized into the same family. So if you know families, you know, some families of beetles like Chrysomelidae or, you know, Scarabeidae and like they all have these really cool family names and then you can know something about the family. You don't have to know each individual species, yeah. but you can know some cool general knowledge and, you know, impress somebody at a dinner party and be like, oh yeah, those are, you know, ladybugs <laughs> are in this group. I, I just don't think that'll ever happen for me. And there's some <laughs> things you have to just kind of go, yeah, I, I think I'm just never going to like lean down and pick up a beetle and go, this is in the scarab family. And I can tell, but it, it also kind of bothers me that I wouldn't know that because it seems pretty cool and worthwhile to the world around you is happening and you just go bug. Yes. How, how many levels above knowledge is just bug? That's so it's, it's, Almost insulting. (laughs) All of them? Yeah, ladybug, steak bug, that's a bug. There's a there's a group though called the true bugs. So maybe if it's a true bug, then you can feel good. Oh, oh that's an yeah. order. True bugs. Hemiptera. <laughs> Hemiptera. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like our aphids and our um, wheel bugs, if you know what that is, or assassin. We saw some white eyed assassin bugs yesterday in the collection. Ooh. Yeah, those ones that are kind of big, and you were telling Owen they had those two big oh, white yeah, spots. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they look like they're hanging, and they look kind of like aliens. They yeah. Have the exactly. two white spots look like eyes. Yeah, those are really pretty. And those uh, true bugs have a really cool mouth part. Um, that it's a piercing sucking mouth part. Um, so they unfold it and either pierce and suck into an animal and suck its blood out or they suck juices out of the plants. So there's kind of a few groups in there who have diverged. Some are herbivores and some are carnivores. So just kind of, you know, and I don't like claim to like know all there is to know ever, but if you have those cool facts and you can tell them to somebody and that piques their interest a little bit, you know, I also had professors in the past tell me like, you know, if you don't know everything about everything, it's fine. There's a lot of books out there that yeah. you're like, okay, good question. Well, where's our reference material? And then you go back, you learn it. Maybe you forget it. Mm-hmm. But also you have a baseline of knowledge that could kind of get you to that next step to answer the specific question. Yeah. I I was thinking of you being on a hike, seeing something you don't recognize crawling along. Do you take a photo and then go home and like flip through some books and match it up and go, ah, it's that. Yeah, I usually take a photo, but like, you know, the book thing, it's usually internet now. Oh, yeah. There's like so many good resources online that you can take a photo of something, take a look at it. You'll definitely know if it's a beetle or a bee or some kind of wasp. Um, And then you're like, oh, I've never seen that before. I didn't know they lived in Colorado. And you start taking a look at it closer and closer. And then you're able to like, oh, it's 
it's in this group and this is what it generally does. Mm-hmm. And that's good enough for me. And I'm like, case closed. Yeah. <laughs> I took a photo. I think I was telling you yesterday, I took a yeah. photo of a flower and like just sent it to the internet basically. Like, oh. tweeted like, what is this? I saw that flower. It had like a weird star pattern. Yeah. Was it that one? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. that one. And then so Matt Candeus, my guy in defense of plants, wrote back and was like, it's this. And I... <clears throat> I think if we just had that network, that resource yeah. more accessible where, yes, of course you can, but there really isn't. If I send, I'd have to flip through the, the internet page after page and on like, a long hunt. Oh, definitely. And try to match it up to the kind of the picture, but it's a different color. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the same. Is it a different weird, do they come in different colors? Yeah. You don't know to know. Right. And so being able to just send out a question to the planet at large, really. I mean, yes. Twitter really can't encompass. And then someone go, it's this. One, we're reliant on, well, I hope that person's right. You know, hopefully, I, you know, I can either double check them or peer review it. Yes. Have someone else do it. But li- largely, I trust that. I believe yeah. it and go. And that's a good feeling that we're all kind of together in this, that we can, now we all got a bug guy. So we people yeah. can like, be sending yeah, you send photos. Yeah, send me some bug photos. <laughs> and then I'll connect it to the bug people at large and we'll get a better idea of yeah. what it is. <laughs> but, but people shouldn't be afraid of doing that, right? No. There's a feeling no. of, well, I don't want to bug them. No. Not, and pun not intended. <laughs> I, fit, I wish I hadn't said it. That I want to inconvenience them. But on your end, like helping Owen, wouldn't, would that make you happier if more people were like, hey, I saw this bug and I felt bad for calling it a bug. What is this? Oh yeah, most definitely. And we see... I see things all the time and sometimes I'm able to answer it. Sometimes I pass along to my other um, friends um, or colleagues who work at the pavilion. And sometimes I pass it on to other people who I know at the university and, and they're working with taxonomy or they're working specifically on naming insects. So they're like, have a really deep knowledge of not naming, but maybe categorizing them into different groups. So they Mm -hmm. have a much more in-depth knowledge of what these particular animals are, how they look, how to distinguish them from each other. Um, yeah, I think it's just amazing. And my whole thing is I like the behavior of the animals. That's like the cool part of me. Like, yeah. what do they do? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I like to share and hone in on. Were you a kid with like a shoe box with a, you know, a piece of plastic with some holes punched in it or a coffee can type thing to just study and be like, well, this bug's not eating the lettuce. I'm going to throw in an old orange and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Were you doing that a lot? You know, I w- it was kind of, I think what got me into this field, people ask me that a lot, and um, I think what got me into like the work that I do is more of, I was kind of like an indoor little kid. Mm-hmm. This little chubby guy who was like reading books. <laughs> like that's what I, when I was a kid, like mm-hmm. I was super like a voracious reader and I was super interested in fiction and nonfiction and all these different kinds of things. So mm-hmm. I read a lot, watched a lot of movies and like that's kind of like, I don't know. That's where I got curiosity, creativity. And then um, when I went to undergrad, um, I was always in, in that kind of little chubby guy sitting inside. I always loved animals too. I think that's more general. Like when I was little, I was like, Oh, it'd be cool to be a zookeeper yeah. or it'd be cool to, you know, hang out with a lion or a chimp or whatever, see these animals really up close. And then when I started undergrad, there was two choices. You got to be a um, microbiology major. And I was like, no, don't want to learn about the small things. Like I can't see them with my, you can see them with your eyes, but like you can't readily see them with your eyes. Yeah. So it's hard to, um, I don't know, think about them. It's, it's, it's hard to learn about them for me. So I was like, I want to be a whole organism biologist because I could watch these different animals do these different behaviors. And that's really interesting to mm-hmm. me. And I could watch them and, and why do they do this? And why do they do that? Um, so that's kind of the route that I, I took more than anything. I'm thinking about that in contrast or in relation to 
Owen or kids like that, yeah. that there's a timing aspect to it. I yes. think we all know people that work in a video store or I mean, plenty of comedians, exceptionally bright, that never really pushed it. Maybe never had the right timing that you had or the opportunity yeah. to do it. You know, you have a four-year-old that's really excited, and then maybe by the time, maybe a variety of things happen in their life where by the time they're in high school, who knows? Maybe, you know, things are bad at home, and they're distracted, and they, their grades don't go well. Yeah. There's so many things that can happen. Or someone that's just a kid that's just, I like movies, I like reading, I don't know what I'm fully interested in. And then that's the, I think someone that invented college would be so excited to hear that, that... I got there and then I really started to zero in and find what I wanted to do, what I liked. Exactly. You weren't a kid going in, what 15 year old is like, I'm doing bugs. Rare. Very rarely. Rare. But you Definitely. get to a place where you're like, well, I know I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This is starting to make sense to me. So that's great that that, it just, and yeah. me only knowing you for a day, it seems <laughs> to fit you very well. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about like some of the teachers that I had along the way. And I think that's probably like, you know, I was a smart enough kid and I could do things and I could learn about things and I could do okay on a test, but I think you have teachers who are passionate and like kind of make you think in a different way. I had a really good high school teacher named Mrs. Cruz and she was, she taught zoology botany class and I just loved it. It was mm -hmm. like the best. And then going on to undergrad and we, I had professor, uh, Iberando and he was kind of prickly, but like prickly in a way that it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. And I was like very attracted to him. Like, Oh yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of mean, mm -hmm. but not mean, but just, you know, you know, one of those guys. No nonsense. No nonsense. Mm -hmm. But also like low key, super sarcastic and hilarious. And I'm like, oh yeah, I like that. <laughs> and um, so him and I became buddies and, and he helped me like figure out a path to go into graduate school. Um, and then my professor in graduate school is like just an, an, an amazing human being, but just extremely intelligent and efficient and just really, uh, really led me down this path really slowly and deliberately so I could get to where I was. And in general, it's basically, I feel like very a privileged thing that I get to do for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm just lucky that I had like these steps along the way that helped me get there for sure. The path is an interesting way to describe it because you know, if you're, six foot seven in ninth grade. I was thinking about that. You're going to get the basketball coach every day or exactly. even the football coach. Hey man. And you're like, I don't even know if that's the path I want. If you have some natural ability and or desire athletically to play, then it works out great. Oh, I'm good at this. I like this. And they want me to do it. But I would imagine most scientists or people in academia, they see a kid just with some ability, some natural tendencies. Yeah. Now they're the same as that basketball coach. Like, Hey, have you thought about this? What if you studied primates? What if you studied this? What if you're a microbiologist? What if you did insects? And so it's up to you to kind of figure out which is the one. Yeah. If you're six, seven, and you're like, I could kind of play all of them, basketball is really one I want to do. Or, no, it turns out I'm a baseball player. It's not that different, I guess, when you're like, bugs. Exactly. Or ha having somebody there to actually tell you that. Like, hey, you're doing okay at this. Have mm -hmm. you thought about this? Yeah. I had m multiple times people um, in undergrad like, Hey, you're doing okay. It's not even like you're the best, right? Yeah. You're doing okay. Have you thought about this <laughs> path? And you're like, no, I haven't because I come from a tiny little town and I didn't even know it was a path that existed. Yeah. But them introducing you to that, it's 
more likely that you think about it. Maybe I can do it. Maybe I'm one person who can, who can pursue that and be successful at it. And honestly, it was that. It was like, I don't know anything about grad school. Like, I was one of the first people in my entire family to even get an undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents don't have an undergraduate degree, and most of my family doesn't. But, you know, being introduced to academia and kind of at a small school, and people like, you're okay at this. Have you thought about this? And you're like, no, I have no frame of reference for that. But they're like, okay, well, let me show you the way. And maybe you can try it out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, man. And like you mentioned, you know, you didn't say like what generation of of being in the United States, you know? Yeah. I I don't know for sure. Okay. I don't know for sure. We've been here for a a little bit and Mm -hmm. I did a, one of those, you know, DNA swaps recently and it came back over 50% Native American, which I think they encompass South, Central, and North America. It's not like, you know, the Native American Indian tribes here in the States. But we've been here for a while, (laughs) (laughs) so I don't really know. Um, Definitely my generation in my family is the first that don't speak Spanish. So my parents do speak Spanish. It's not their first language, it's their second language. Mm -hmm. And their parents spoke Spanish as well, but we were the first that was never really learned Spanish. I don't know if we ever had to. And now you could be in a position where you have a child coming soon to be like, hey, college is happening. This is an expectation now. Oh, definitely. And he sees his dad and his mom who both have degrees and work in my wife's a teacher and I work where I work a like a nonprofit education oriented institution so we're like super education oriented and it wouldn't even be a second thought that like oh yeah this is this yeah. is you go to college buddy and you'll do this and that and the other mm-hmm. yeah it's not like you'll be I don't know not doing that if you didn't want to it's fine too but it's kind of the predisposed ex- expectation I guess yeah it's I, I that's such an for me, an, an unknown arc through, because it changes as history goes. You know, we're in a different space than a hundred years ago. It even yeah. looked technology beat more than anything, but that you would, you go from this place of, well, we're, we're here where no one has achieved a secondary education to this level. So with the expectations from your family of maybe watching you go do it or like, I think, I think he's doing it. Oh like, yeah. It's happening. Yeah. They're super proud. It's, it's, it's great. It feels really good. And they're like, keep on going. Yeah. Very encouraging. And it's great. And now like my friend group makes up of like the old friends from grad school. Like it's so random. I probably have like, like five or seven of my closest friends are entomology PhDs. (laughs) It's like how many people could say that? Yeah. A random, they're all doctors. And one guy studies, uh, my buddy Kevin studies like fly pheromones Mm -hmm. to help in industrial application of, um, or getting flies out of like mushroom houses, mm-hmm. random. Some of my friends work on international agriculture and teaching people around the world how to, you know, grow crops in a better, more efficient way. Another of my friends, uh, she worked in on in malaria, and now she's like uh, working in um, helping people become better writers for scientific publications. Like it's a really great friend group. But like, if I never had that opportunity to do graduate school. I want to have known all these amazing people who are doing amazing things. And yeah. I don't know. You look back on life and you think, oh, yeah, it's like a little story that you tell. But really, it's just random forks in the road that you decide to take for one reason or another or randomly or accidentally. And it leads you to kind of where you are now. It's it's kind of weird to think about. But it inevitably becomes a story. Yes. So people look back and go, uh, I must have taken a couple wrong turns. Or they look back and go, I didn't even know what turns I was taking, but I'm so glad they led me here. Yes. 
I, this woman in South Dakota the other night after a show, she came over and just kind of out of nowhere said like, you know, I, I was doing some jokes about how like the current people that are in, in the younger side of things think they're going to be much better senior citizens than people that are. Cause we're all like, Oh, well I'm not racist and I know technology better. I'm, I'm going to be okay with this. Yeah. And she was like, I think that must have prompted her to say, you know, I, I'm so happy right now. I can't imagine life going any better to be in a place than I am right now and be as happy as I am. And I was like, if you can just get there, regardless of what happened in life, whatever turns you took, she's living in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. And just like, I love my life. I'm so happy. And I'm glad with what I do. And hopefully, yeah, when you look back on oh, I'm friends with all these PhD entomologist people that have similar enthusiasm for what I do and knowledge and we can share it. And, I think that's really one fortunate, you know, yes. like there, there was a super fortunate. I think I bring this up on the show times sometimes where they were, they were going to, there was some talk of doing a DNA collection for, of Nobel prize winners. Okay. And one of the guys, and I believe it was the guy who invented the copy machine was like, well, if you want the DNA that created a Nobel prize winner, you should just go find two coal miners in West Virginia. Cause that's who made me. And so there's just, oh, that's amazing. I just love that, that, you know, it, when, when I start to feel like society is getting so dumb and ignoring education and ignoring just rationality, then I think, well, there's some kid that's born into that right now that has parents that are not only not educated, but against it. Well, you think you're better than us? That kind of mentality. Yeah. That that kid will still outpace it and still end up in your friend group going, hey, yeah. guys, how do we all get here? We're all entomologists. How did this happen? Because I, I would guess out of your friends that you're just talking about, you don't all have even close to the same background. Absolutely not. And different support systems at home and come from all over the world and great support at home and no support at home. And um, it's so varied from different countries, um, not even from the United States. And But they're all amazing, wonderful people who are, in my opinion, some of the smartest people I've ever met, mm-hmm. you know, and no, it's so different. Each and every one of them have a completely different story. I love that. Yeah. I just, I just, Cause it, you know, when you see, if you're a kid and you see kids, you know, other groups that are destined to go off to college or whatever that might be. Yeah. And you just go, Oh, well, what chance do I have? It's the children that are born into, in Nantucket that are, have, a legacy in at Princeton and then there those are the people that succeed you know that's not true no my friend from the trailer park got a full ride ended up doing some community college went here you know got an undergrad went just kept kind of plugging away kept getting opportunities kept taking advantage of them when they appeared yep I love that yeah I think that's such a, a great way to look at it too there are some people like that who are like you know their legacies or whatever and they get to go to the great universities but that's not to say there aren't amazing institutions all over the country that you can go and learn and be successful in your own field yeah and feel really good about yourself Mm -hmm. yeah we were talking about yesterday the tarantula and so they is it the species that's a rosy yeah so it's a chilean rosehair tarantula Mm -hmm. is the common name gramistola rosea is the scientific name and they're called that because they have um on the cephalothorax the kind of the first segment the the, it would be a merged thorax and head for an insect. So you think of a, a tarantula has two segments, the abdomen and the cephalothorax. But anyway, on the top of it, it has a little like rosy color to it, a little pinkish color to it. And yeah. that's where they got their common name. Oh, uh, okay. Because then Owen was like, I want to go hold Rosie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, just, it's such a warm name, yeah. Rosie. Rosie. And the, but then 
so the one rosy that he was holding is pretty big. Yeah. And then later you showed us a, a bigger one and then a much smaller one. Yeah. And I think just naturally thinking life's competitive. Especially if you're a small thing, you know, oh, you, yeah. you're born as an elephant, you're already pretty big and you're walking around, but if you're, you're born as a spider, we think of the lifespan being so small that like, oh, they're a centimeter and a week later, they're an inch and a half. Yeah. But you were, that kind of blew my mind that the rosy, one of them you showed us was pretty small, maybe smaller than the palm of your hand for sure. If oh, yeah. not like a silver dollar even. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, that's a year and a half old. Yeah. And then the one, the bigger one that was the palm of the hand was like seven years. Yes. That's fascinating to me that life would allow as comp as competitive as it is that much time for a spider to achieve full size and sexual maturity too. Right. You got to remember like some of those spiders or the tarantulas anyway, don't re reach sexual maturity until multiple years, five, seven, eight years sometimes. How like, are they still around? Exactly. It takes so long that, What's really interesting about a lot of invertebrates, though they are, we, and this is like going back to my undergrad days, there's R versus K selected. So R is you have a ton of babies, 2% survive, but 2% survived, and that's really good. Uh -huh. Put a bunch of resources to a bunch of babies, they kind of fend for themselves. Sea turtles or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah. Um, or rabbits, and a lot of babies. Or like something like us, or you mentioned an elephant. Elephant almost has a two-year gestation period. Yeah. So they are caring for that calf both internally and externally, and it takes a long time for that calf to grow and long time for it to reach sexual maturity. Um, and so animals kind of have those different strategies to maximize their their fitness. You know, mm -hmm. who which offspring are going to survive? And it is interesting that a little tiny relatively small animal like a tarantula takes so long to become an adult and they do have many hundreds of of spiderlings at a time mm -hmm. but yeah it's super interesting instead of like you're out six weeks later you're ready to go you have babies and you're done yeah which a lot of animals do do as well it's just different the kind of niches that they fill and different kind of life histories that they have What's their day-to-day? Because -day? most of them we saw, and again, they're in pretty small enclosures. They're kind of, you put little shells and kind of concave, like cave-looking things for them to hide yeah, under. Yeah, we call them hides. And the enclosures, because we have, the vast majority of our rosies are female. And in the wild, actually, they're, they stay in their burrow almost all the time. They don't walk around a lot. The mm -hmm. males walk around searching for females, um, but the females almost stay in their burrow all the time. And actually, the small enclosures allows them to be um, more successful at hunting. So when you give them food, if you have too large of an enclosure, they're not able to find it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So their day to day is, um, we have rosies that, um, that work, we call quote unquote work. So they're able to interact with the public and four of those go out every day. So they work two hours every single week. So we bring out four every morning and they work, um, four, two hour shifts once per week. And then they get fed once or twice a week by some of our volunteers and get water. Sometimes we have some breeding projects with them. So we'll introduce a male and a female to each other, see if we can get an egg sac out of them. We're working on that right now as well. Um, but yeah, so their day to day is just being cared for by staff members. And what I always, always tell people, uh, that like if we did get a rosy egg sac and we've had other tarantula egg sacs before their success rate in um under our care is going to be way more successful than their success rate in the wild mm -hmm. like most of them are going to get gobbled up or maybe the egg sac falls down and it rots or whatever but yeah. we'd have to do a lot of different things to make sure we get you know a good percentage of them to become adults and then are you ever inundated where you have like, all right, we've got too many tarantulas. Do you take them out ever? Would they be released? Oh, no. We usually you don't want to release 
so there there's two kind of things that people do some people do are doing a lot of wild releases and they would obtain uh, males and females from the wild breed them in captivity you know it's it's done a lot to head start a species or to replace some animals that we see on the decline but a lot of lab animals they don't want you to release because sometimes they could have uh, a random disease that might arise in the lab and you don't want to release that to the wild populations, mm-hmm. which would impact them negatively further. Yeah. So none of our animals are released into the wild. Some do to that, just raising them in the wild. Most of them aren't from the area. And number three is some of them become, because they're not from the area, can become agricultural pests. Like yeah. The caterpillars that come from the butterflies. And here it gets pretty cold, but like if you have a butterfly house in Florida, they're really strict about you cannot let any of those butterflies out whatsoever. <laughs> so we have a lot of <laughs> contingencies to make sure that none of those tropical butterflies go and eat every orange in the country. And it's then, so weird to think about like one of those butterfly houses opening up and just this beautiful array of butterflies leaving. Just flying and away. And, and <laughs> someone the curator's like, no, those yeah. vermin, oh, they're going to ruin everything. Exactly. And the USDA is pretty strict about that kind of stuff because they don't want to see that happening. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pro like, um, education about conservation and stuff. But at the same time, we have special permits for them for an insectarium to make sure that we're not releasing those critters out into the wild. Nice. Yeah. What's I guess the overall, would it start to become monotonous? Is it like at the, say the pavilion where you're changing, we have this exhibit, we have this, I don't want to call them cages, but you know, we have, Oh, this, we say habitats. Okay. Yeah. Have this habitat and we're going to swap it out. The beetles have been there long enough. Yeah. Or, would it ever become monotonous or like what's the overall goal in 10 years where do you want it to be bigger? You're moving facilities in like four to five years. Yeah, right? exactly. And we want more, um, the kind of idea, idea is to have biomes. So something that you walk into and you feel like you're in the desert, hot air mm-hmm. smells like creosote, you know, you're from the desert. So mm-hmm. you kind of know those feelings, yeah. right? You look around, there's cactus and other kind of plants and then there's animals running around. Uh-huh. So that's kind of, you know, like the tropical conservatory, which is kind of, it is that already we want to innovate and make our facility better in a way where the animals will have a lot more space, maybe a more natural habitat. And also for the people who come in to feel really immersed by that experience as well. Yeah. So that's kind of the goal. The other goal that we do have for all of our animals is enrichment goals. So, um, if I always like to tell people like, yeah, you can have a ladybug in a little plastic enclosure and give it, you know, a little aphid for it to eat, but we're thinking on a much different level than that. We want to give them, um, deep substrate, breeding opportunities, social, social environments. So they're actually interacting with other animals as well. Um, little hides and little burrows that they could go into something they could dig into. One of our interns is working on a project right now where she's introducing different kinds of enrichment to the scorpions, including like roses and the scorpions tear the roses apart and they like different smells. Mm -hmm. They do that at zoos at a high, high level, right? They're putting urine from other animals with the um, lion so they could get this really cool um, kind of brain chemistry thing and be really enamored by it but we do that hmm. on a small scale too we think about really? enrichment goals for every single one of our animals in the facility wow yeah it's an interesting little like microcosm in that you you know when you are in the tropical place where all the butterflies and there's like mist of water coming down yeah. it does feel like you're kind of in this tropical environment butterflies everywhere it's yeah. just a really really delightful place to be and then the desert, so you build all these little ecosystems or biomes, as you would say. Yeah. And then you get children coming in or just whoever, people that would understand how their presence in the in that environment might Im- 
impact that, how to be more aware of what's in it. Yeah. But then the, the ultimate goal, I suppose, is that they would then transfer that when they are out in nature, yes. are out in the world. So then you're trying to create, the best case is that the, your, your situation would educate the entire population. So therefore, we wouldn't even need a facility like yours. Yeah. We would be treating like the outside world like, oh, got it. Yeah, we got it. We're, everybody recycle. Once we have 100% of people recycling, not using plastic straws, not using any plastic of any kind, um, composting at their house, respecting every, which we'll never get to. That's why I'm saying all these <laughs> things. Um, but we're going to continue to try and build on that. We have one exhibit right now. Um, you've heard of the palm oil crisis, right, with mm-hmm. mostly primates. But there's a bunch of insects that live there. And we have this little beetle on display that lives in areas where they harvest for palm oil and make have uh, asking people to make other choices, maybe mm-hmm. in the foods that they eat or purchase, maybe that are palm oil free. Not only can you save the orangutans, but there's a little beetle there too who lives there, <laughs> which is really great and important as well. Yeah. We don't want to put like a value on any kind of species life, but it's diverse there. Yeah. And so we have a whole thing about changing your habits, what to buy, what not to buy and why it's important or, um, you know, recycling your plastic bags or maybe not using plastic bags, using paper bags. So we talk about, we try to tell different stories, um, that relate to our animals and that might impact people's just daily decisions. Cause it's a daily thing. You yeah. know, recycling is a daily thing. And if you could recycle, then, then that's great. Or use, use less electricity or whatever it may be. Yeah. Man, cannot get that message out enough. It's so frustrating that that starts to become kind of a, well, you're saying something, you're getting at something else that goes against, <laughs> I'm going to keep driving this, I'm going to keep using what I use. And yeah. like the, 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 I don't even want to talk about it, but like the current group selling straws at rallies to sort oh, of as yeah. an almost like, like just giving the finger to, to the people who are trying to make a positive difference. Yeah, that's really a- that aggravating to just know that that exists and like, well, best we can do is try to educate their kids and hope that they respond differently and are a little more conscientious. Exactly. I always tell people like who are suspicious of our quote unquote agenda. And we don't have any agenda, but like make the planet healthier. Like we invite everybody to come and check out the facility and see all the cool animals. But if people become quote unquote suspicious of our agenda, our agenda is like to make the world a better place for you and your family. Yeah. Yeah, how can you be against that? How could that? you be against it? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, man. I, you got to travel to Africa and do, and then, and there's a little bit of an exhibit there showing like what you did at the yeah. pavilion. It's awesome. And because elephants, as much as we, you know, worry about them with poachers and their numbers declining yes. and they, they are encroachment on them, they can also be a bit of a pest for farming. It's hard to keep an elephant out of your crop if you don't have a huge fence. Exactly. Or some kind of other barrier or, or farmers use a different, a variety of different ways to keep the elephants out. But the elephant population in Africa, especially is doing okay. I mean, we are still experiencing record numbers of like poaching and, and, um, killing animals for bush meat, um, Mm -hmm. elephants for bush meat. But the human population is growing in Asia and Africa. And when human population grows, we encroach onto natural habitats for these animals. So when the elephants are, are walking around doing their, they'll in the evening, they'll travel in groups looking for water, looking for food. Um, they'll come upon farms. And when you have a densely po- um, planted farm of maize or sweet potatoes or, or whatever it may be, 
the elephants are definitely going to eat that, you yeah. know, because it's just a ton of food right there and they need a ton of food. So it builds resentment really in these areas from farmers to elephants. And usually the farmers aren't poaching elephants. They're just like, hey, this big giant animal is like <laughs> wrecking my farm. What can I do about it? Yeah. And sometimes they'll light a fire or throw things at the elephant or um, make loud noise. Um, but it really is difficult to keep such a large land mammal out of these areas. And this group called Save the Elephants, and it's one of the large elephant conservation groups in the world. Um, about 10 years ago, they started doing this work. They noticed that elephants were afraid of bees. They wouldn't forage in trees that bees were um, that bees were in, and they had this special call that they could communicate to all the other members of, of the group that there were bees around. So they're like, you know, well, maybe this could be a good um, deterrent for elephants coming into farmland. So they came up with this technology called bee fences. And a lot of people in the area are beekeepers anyway. They've done it for generations on generations. It's like, what if we hang bee fences around our farm and we connect them with like a little tripwire. And when the elephants try to come into the farm, they hit the tripwire. It shakes the beehive a little bit. The bees emerge and sting the elephant. Uh And elephants do not like to be stung (laughs) by bees. They'll turn around and run away. And we thought it was bad enough that that stereotype they were afraid of mice. (laughs) (laughs) Something even smaller. smaller. (laughs) Exactly. Nobody likes to get stung and the bees will go into their trunk and sting them and stuff. And um, the elephants will turn tail and run away. And not only does this create like a passive way of keeping elephants out of your farmland, but it also creates another um, income opportunity using bee products like honey or wax or whatever, whatever, whatever else the bees produce. And um, it's been about 80% effective in in some of the studies in East Africa. So we took that model. Um, Dr. Lucy King was a person who really worked on that. And she's I think she did her PhD on that. And she works in Kenya right now on that particular project. And it's free. She, um, you could print out a bee fence construction guide from her website and see all of her publications on this. So she's really trying to encourage other people around the world to use this technology. So we were able to travel to Tanzania and train people about how to keep bees in general, how to build hives, and then think about using some of these um, bee fences to keep the elephants out. We we interviewed a gentleman who had been gored by an elephant, talked to him about what would an implementation of this technology on his farm look like. So, yeah, and and you know what's interesting is all of the work, we, we so we did Tanzania this year, and in October, this past October, I was in Nepal working on the same thing, all private donors. So you go and you talk to some folks about this project and how important it is not only to the human beings, but the elephants and the bees. Um, they're, they're willing to, to help out with that kind of work. And, and I've been really lucky to be able to do a lot of that work around yeah. the world. It's really, really interesting and fun and, 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 and just um, hopefully can make a difference, you know? Yeah. I mean, did you ever think as a little kid watching TV in Alamosa that you'd be going to Africa to teach them different ways to you know have environments be safer based on inobtrusive little things involving bees no man i couldn't <laughs> i uh, if you were to write a story hey, you Haley. couldn't change it anymore hey Haley. what do you you have like a one o'clock get out of town you gotta go oh, yeah. oh we're past one it's one fifteen. oh yeah it's no problem at all are you sure yeah okay because if you want to try more stuff we could do like a little bonus section if you'd like okay if you, gotta, you want to yeah let's do it okay yeah, sure. i'm down Sure, yeah, whatever you got in mind. Um, we want to do like two, four total? Yes, that's four? us. Two each? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Haley. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, so let's. Well, I want to 
finish that thought, that yeah. little kid from Alamosa. Yeah, there was no way. I don't think I could ever imagine or fathom this happening in my life. <laughs> <laughs> every day, every week, it's just something new. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. I just love it because so many people, I see this a lot in comedians, like you're getting to travel, you're getting to do this thing, but because you don't have a Netflix special or whatever it might be, this these metrics ba- that you can tangibly say, that's definitive success. And I think as you go along, then the person who has one goes, but I didn't have the biggest Netflix, there, but I didn't do Madison Square Garden. There's oh, always yeah. something. And I love when people are able to look at, I was able to do this and it's incredible to just look back and be like, how on earth did this happen and feel lucky about it and feel fortunate. And so I, I love to hear stories like that, that I, realistically, if I were like at a gas station in Alamosa, it would have been okay. I'd probably yeah. still be like trying to do my best at that. But the fact that you've gotten to like get an education and make friends with really interesting people and travel the world and like have an impact on a young generation and hopefully foster people being a little bit more conscientious and aware I feel like that's just ultimate success. I, I agree. I feel just like, honestly, I can't say enough that I feel just super lucky and privileged to do, to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just, every day's great. <laughs> just so happy. <laughs> well, it's cool to be around, man. Okay. I asked you this. I mentioned this yesterday. I already know what your answer will be, but the button that you can push that removes humanity, everything else stay you know stays the same so i think about this in terms of the elephants i guess yeah um and humans go where they go they feel no pain they just disappear yeah would you hit the button did you ask me this yesterday i'm trying i mentioned it that i sometimes yeah, bring yeah, it you up do bring it up yeah i don't oh now i'm thinking it like very strongly about it no i would not push the button so you are an optimist. You think we can overcome this. We are. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, you, anybody t- who you talk to, who knows me, I'm definitely glass, glass half full person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do like humans. Yeah. Despite. I think we all do, but yeah. I think it's just our average. We, we hang out with, you know, our, the percentage that we like, we have to deal with the others in crowds and in traffic. And we go, well, this is why, this is why the planet's in peril. These idiots. Yeah. So overall, are you just see <laughs> footage from a group of humans doing something where you go, oh, it's just so incredibly disheartening. Yeah. I don't like our chances. I just think we have too much of this, whatever that might be, evil, anger, hostility, whatever those things m- turn into yeah. that become violent. Then you go, ah, I feel pessimistic about it. Definitely. Our impact on environments and ecosystems and the entire atmosphere of the planet we live in feels incorrectable at times. But I don't know. I, I like when you talk to someone, it's like, nah, we can overcome it. We'll figure it out. I hope so. But I hope it's not like foolish optimism either. I think the, the, the main symptom is I try not to like, you know, say evil or, or, you know, just general badness, but I think ignorance yeah. I think that's the main driver. Yeah. And whether that's ignorance of like, I don't know anything about this. So I'm li- literally ignorantly making a bad decision about what I'm doing or like, I'm going to be ignorant and I'm proud of my ignorance and I'm not going to learn about that. I wish that, I think I've brought this up before that there should be a new term called ignorance spelled the exact same way. <laughs> yes. But it's willfully, willfully I'm ignorant. choosing to ignore this because it makes me f- question my ideals or my hard set beliefs yeah. or it goes against things that I just don't want to think about it. So I'm ignorant of that. 
And that's the worst. That's it's one thing if you like ignorance is bliss. Well, sure. I didn't know about that. There could be something happening in Nepal right now to villagers or whoever yeah. that I go, Oh shit. I didn't know that. I guess I'm ignorant. I'm blissfully ignorant. Cause now I'm sad. Exactly. Now that I know it, but then I know it and I choose to go, I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to turn the channel. That's what everyone seems to be doing. Yes. And, and not even doing that, but maybe also I see something and I'm going to actively fight with somebody about their opinion on that thing. Yeah. Just to fight with them about yeah. it because I think I'm right or I think I know more than they know or, or whatever it may be. You see something in the news and you jump on social media and you're like, actually, <laughs> I have the better opinion about this. Yeah. Okay. Well, here comes Haley. Wow. Let's move on into bonus territory. We'll try these new beers. Yes, there's even more. If you're a Patreon member, you can listen to more of that chat. We get a little bit more beer going on and uh, get real into it. It was right after um, some bad news and some shootings and um, the conversation delves into that a little bit, but moreover, just uh, the plight of humanity and our our um, existence on the planet, how to be good to each other, things of that nature, how science ties into it. Mario, just a fascinating guy. Really liked chatting with him. Thanks again for reaching out. If you um, listen to that and went, hey, that guy's not that different from me. Mario was saying when he was writing the email that he was kind of nervous, which I get. It's difficult to reach out sometimes. But if you'd like to be a guest or you have beer or music or topic suggestions, um, pings at thespacecave.com or you can email me at davidhunsberger.com. You can go on Twitter, space underscore cave. A lot of options. Space Cave Podcast on Instagram, which I haven't been very good at posting content there. I don't know if I've got it in me. I will try because I do think the photos of the guests and beer and things like that uh, might bring a little more atmosphere to the show if you'd like to see kind of what it looks like a little bit behind the scenes. Anyway, those are the places to do that. And I really appreciate it when people do uh, reach out and uh, offer something, any suggestion. Again, music guests, topics, uh, whatever you'd like. And listen to more of that in the Patreon. It really helps. Shows made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. There are no ads in the show. Try to keep it that way. So if you do subscribe to the Patreon and welcome to our newest member. I, I, don't, I know I'm not going to say this name correctly, but I will be interviewing him in San Francisco soon because he did the same thing. He reached out and said, hey, I like the show. I'd like to be a part of it. I believe it's Yoshi. Yoshi, I hope I'm saying that right. Yoshi, one of the two, somewhere in that range. Uh, thanks for being a Patreon member, and we'll see you in San Francisco. And to those of you who are Patreon members, enjoy a part three with Mario while it's in there. Some extra stuff, too. Some um, uh, Conrad Romo, a short little story from him, more Scientology stuff. Anyway, there's usually something, if not a whole entire episode each month to keep it exciting. Okay, thanks to Dan for putting the show together and tweaking up the audio, making it sound just right, editing out that damn fly sound. He didn't do that, but I don't know if we ever could hear the fly. If you did, it's not Dan's fault. I wanted it to be in there. Really kept the show feeling more authentic. Okay, let's get out of here. This is a song that Dan, our A&R guy, some of you rival him a little bit every now and again with um, sending links to music, but overall, Dan does the most boots on the ground, out there scouting, seeing live shows, exploring bands on the internet. He found this one when, when I initially uh, tried to get the MP3. It didn't exist. It was impossible to find on the entire internet. Now it finally is available. And so, uh, this is 
from a band called Lorelei. I hope that's how you say it. Lorelei? Lorelei? I think it's Lorelei. L-O-R-E-L-E-I. And it's called I Am A Road. Thanks for stopping by the Space Gate.